Let's do it. Let's do it. Broadcasting from around the world, you're listening to The First 100, a podcast on how founders acquired their first 100 paying customers. Here's your host, Hadi Rodwan. Good to have you on the show, Khalil. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, Hadi. Anytime. I was looking forward for uh, this episode because I used to work, I used to uh, use Teller in my previous startup, and I'm very curious to know how you did it. So I'll give a small introduction about uh, Teller and yourself for our listeners. Khalil Alami is the founder of Teller. Teller was founded in 2014 and now has presence across the Middle East. In essence, Teller enables merchants to accept payments online in over 120 currencies and over 30 languages now. And it also provides other services like social commerce, QR codes, anti-fraud protection, PNPL solutions, the buy now, pay later, card integrations, and many more. Uh, Teller has raised today more than 30 million. Take us back to the founding aha moment. Of Teller, Hari. How did it all start? Well, uh, thanks, Hadi. First of all, uh, it's nice to see a merchant here <laughs> or a client of Teller. I would love to take it offline later and see uh, any feedback that you have, whether it's positive or negative, in order to build on it. So it's great, and thank you for having me. So let me take you a little bit back in time to 2014. 2014 was the year where we founded Teller. Teller at the time in 2014, there was a significant shortage, I want to say, in local players that provide any payment services in the payment industry in our region. Many people only knew about PayPal, uh, maybe a few other platforms from the US, maybe from Europe that were offering some sort of payment services, but at a very steep and high cost. At the same time, coupling that with very low levels or bad customer service because they were so out of touch of the market. You know, the steep prices were not compatible with the likes of the majority of the merchants here in our region, startups, entrepreneurs, SMEs, and everybody's setting up businesses in the region and the GCC in UAE and Saudi Arabia and what have you. And that really created an opportunity for us to establish a homegrown online payment gateway that offered the right service at the right price. So the original founder, Leaz Ghanem, grabbed that opportunity by founding Teller in 2014 to meet that specific financial need in the region to create a payment gateway that is out of this region for specifically for the UAE and Saudi Arabia at the start. Thank you for sharing this. So that's how we that's, started. That's amazing. If you go back in time, the show is about your first 100 client. Tell us a little bit, what was your original sales philosophy strategy and how did it change over time once you had more funding? That's a great question. You know, fintech started off, if you take a step back, to as financial services. And then as the market changed and as the needs changed, technology started coming in and in more and more embedded into the financial service world. And this is where fintech came from. So when we started, we aimed to bridge that crucial gap within the financial sector as a local payment gateway. And then we started onboarding merchants, providing those payment services and what have you. But what we soon realized that our capabilities as well 
as the market needs change, need to change along with it. So we became more of an ecosystem enabler. We pivoted to an e-commerce enabler or maybe a social commerce enabler. So the idea was to develop this full 360-degree approach where we expanded beyond payments in order to improve the ease of doing business online between a company or a website and its customer without them being physically in the same location or seeing each other. There's no touch. The touch point is completely online. So we began offering SMEs, startups, businesses, the tools that they need to access the payments through the website, their mobile apps, even social media, and partnered with various firms and people who facilitate such services that complement our core payment engine such as, for example, short lending for SMEs that needed a working capital loan or logistic services for last mile delivery because that transaction is complete. But at the end of the day, that merchant needs to deliver that good that was just purchased to their customer. So this is how our acquisition or partnership philosophy shifted than what was earlier on focusing on just enabling payments for merchants. How did you early on find these merchants? What was your strategy, especially that when you started, probably you didn't have enough of the firepower that you have today? Early on, we targeted what we knew large businesses or big companies that were selling online and needed our services. And they were using somebody outside or maybe just PayPal at a very steep price. And initially, like you said, so we were focused on the product, on the technology. So we started looking at if you're going to sell online, most probably you're going to go at the time and open Google and say, hey, how do I accept payments online? So we focused a lot on SEOs and SEMs and made sure that, you know, whenever you said payment online and you were coming from UAE or coming from Saudi Arabia, Teller would, you know, our website would be just right up there. So you click on it and you just go through the whole process to learn more about us and our pricing and our services and continue that journey. So like I said, early on, we targeted search engine optimization as well as we went out and targeted big companies. And then also we looked at where do we add more value? And we've identified that startups are underserved. SMEs are underserved and startups need us the most because when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing this startup, you have limited resources and you need to know what your cost is going to be on the long run. So we created this whole startup package pricing where you pay just one monthly fee, regardless of any transactions that you do. And that's all you pay. So you can project your cost for online payments for the next one year. And that's it. So the successful acquisitions for Teller came or stemmed from ensuring that we had our fundamentals in place. We ensured that we are serving the right product for the right person. There's a good product fit for our clients. And then, of course, there's stickiness. And how do you create that? So I guess that's some of the strategies that we implemented early on as we grew along. It's very important what you just mentioned on stickiness. I love this industry because when we were back running our company in the in UAE, we actually didn't have a lot of options as you said there was a couple of merchants including teller and for us the product has to be not expensive because it's sitting behind our 
payment system, right? It's not like an Apple iPhone where brand is important. It, it needs to be cheap. It needs to do the job, right? Yeah. So once a client is onboarded, by default, if everything is running smoothly, they should not churn. So that's an embedded element of the stickiness part. Did you do anything additional to improve that stickiness even further? Absolutely. We have to understand that after we launched, you're a startup, like you said, you want the cheap service that works, that gets you where you want to go and make sure that you accept your payments. Because we're, at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're capturing your revenue, right? So with that in mind, we need a lot of competitors starting popping up, replicating, you know, copycats and what have you. And with that in mind, so we said that we need to create that stickiness. How do we get embedded as a payment gateway within a startup, but we create that value to grow with them as they grow. And that's where stickiness came from. And this is when we became an enabler for a business to go online and create those value-added services within, whether it was creating a, and managing your subscription model, whether it was creating uh, reports or embedding within your accounting system, or just took that step extra step into the business of the merchant and created extra value-added services, sticky points there where moving away from us would be harder, not impossible, but harder, but at the same time, making sure that we are providing top-notch service and top-notch product. So with full respect to building a brand with proper values, good work culture, and you know, making sure our end goals are stay focused and we stay on the right course, and just growing together because we understood that a growing merchant is growing teller. And that's the combination. Thank you for sharing this. Is there any acquisition strategies that you've implemented early that did not work? And what did you learn from that? Acquisition strategies that did not work. I think one of the most important lessons that I learned from you know launching with Teller is the critical role of flexibility and adaptability. In the face of this rapid changing world, we had a clear vision of or for our payment platform and what it's supposed to do. But we soon realized that the payments industry is constantly changing. And we needed to be flexible and quick to adapt uh, new technologies, make sure that services are introduced very quickly. And there were some antiquated strategies that weren't just working or were not right anymore. And we had to switch over and change to newer ones. Now, another key challenge was, you know, we were working in an industry that's completely unregulated. Regulations came in and the whole regulatory landscape in the sector completely changed in the last few years. So it was necessarily to be proactive and work closely with the regulators to make sure that we actually complied with the local laws while maintaining the highest level of service at the same time. And I think that's where early on when we brought in proper uh, processes and international standards and services that are on the top-notch level, and that's what made us like just fall in and be automatically compliant with all the laws that or the regulations that were coming out. So staying at the forefront of technology and innovation was also challenging, but we had to stay there and we made sure that we're there to stay competitive and we constantly are on the lookout for new payment solutions, new trends, investing in research and development, making sure that our technologies are always 
in line with what's going on. Because today you might have a startup that's you know working on a mobile app using technology X. In a year or so, that technology could be outdated and they're moving it towards a new technology. And we have to make sure that we can plug in with that technology and the other ones and the new ones and backdated ones. So I hope I answered Thank you question. for sharing uh, this information. You're in a very competitive industry dominated by few big companies that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars as compared to you guys, which you've mentioned, uh, you've raised 30 million. How or what strategies have you implemented to compete with someone who has more money than you? They have more firepower, yet you still maintain a market leading power. Any advice you could share with founders who could be faced with such a situation? Absolutely. I mean, you could have all the money in the world. You could raise $100 million. But if your product is horrible, you won't have any clients. So it doesn't matter how much you raise. And that's really the essence of Teller, is focusing on the product, making sure that that product is actually sellable. It actually creates a solution, not a problem for our merchant, and is scalable enough to grow with the client. Having that in mind at our core, and then adding around it excellent customer service, boutique customer service, we're available there for you anytime you want. The customer service, what we call in inside teller we actually call it client experience because we want to make sure that your experience is complete so it's not just about the product and the experience it's all about making sure that we are customer centric enough for you to stay with us because you might go to a bigger company for a cheaper price but if the product doesn't work what's the point if you still can't capture your revenue even if you're paying 10% less than what you're paying at Teller, what's the point? Because you're losing out on so much revenue. That's really the core of how we do it. And being in a unique position where the technology that we use is completely proprietary, that's built in-house from A to Z. So we control the source code, we control how we implement it, how we customize it. That gives us our unique ability to customize for each and every merchant what they need. Because your payment methodology of how you capture your revenue could be extremely different or opposite to another person, uh, another entrepreneur. And we can customize for both. And that's what a large multi-million company cannot do for you. What are a few instrumental learnings from your previous work that you brought with you to Teller? And what have you unlearned from your previous work as well that you did not want to bring with you to Teller because maybe it's a different culture or a different environment or a different industry? Sure. So I'll tell you um, one of the key learnings in my career that I've carried forward from my previous roles into Teller and to everywhere I go is that people matter. That's core. So in order to be successful, you know, we need to surround ourselves with talented, trustworthy, hardworking, loyal, and good work ethic people, and who actually care about Teller as a brand, Teller as a company, and care about what Teller is trying to achieve. That being said, I would say there are a few things that I have unlearned along the way as well. For instance, I would say that the importance of creating a strong team but also delegating tasks effectively instead of trying to do everything yourself is quite important. Additionally, I would say having realized the significance of a very well-crafted business plan and a clear understanding of the market and the competition 
before launching your product or service while being able to pivot is also an important one. But lastly, I think if I wanted to think about things that I would leave, you know, change, I guess, like you said, leave behind or change or something like this, I would also work on prioritizing the work-life balance earlier in my career, as opposed to, you know, being just jumping in to work all the time, because it's easy to get caught up in the demands of running a business, overlooking, you know, yourself, your family, your life balance, and all of that. So yeah, definitely, definitely a good work-life balance would be one. Thank you for sharing these insights. How would you break down today your decision-making framework? How do you decide what to prioritize, what not, what to delegate, what to not? Has that changed over your career? I believe so. I think decision-making framework that is structured but flexible at the same time to what is needed is usually successful. You need to have an accurate identification of a task and how important it is to the organization's overall picture of success, assessing the skills that you have or not, or you don't have that you need to get, and determining who is supposed to lead that. Is it you or is it somebody else that's more knowledgeable in this? Making sure that communication is a good part of a decision-making process because you need to communicate with all the stakeholders and make sure that this is a top priority or not and getting all the feedback and all that. But that's all great, right? That's you know science, that's proper work ethic. But sometimes you can put all this away put it on the side and your gut is your best decision-making framework. Sometimes you just have to go with your gut, make, you know, you see an opportunity. You've had so many years of experience in the industry that you're working in that you can actually see an opportunity and your gut feeling tells you that this is going to be a game changer and you just go for it and you prioritize it. And most of the time it's going to work out, but a lot of the times it doesn't, but would you have not tried it anyways? You should try it. So your ability to learn from failing is also quite important. Decision-making framework is important, but sometimes your gut is just much better. What are your biggest insecurities today as a leader? So I think one of the biggest insecurities we face as leaders today is, I guess, the fear of the unknown or the uncertain future. You know, you might talk to people telling you, you know, we're heading towards a recession. Others will tell you, no, we're away things shifting in the global economy, the global economic uncertainty. These things, you know, are all insecurities. Being in the tech industry or in the fintech industry is also, you know, I look at cybercrime, for instance, is something that is takes a lot of thought from us and a lot of things that we need to be doing there, assessing risk, making sure the integrations are not vulnerable, all different vulnerability management and what have you. There's a lot of insecurities as far as, you know, in leadership these days. But also what gives us comfort is that we've navigated through, I wouldn't say never seen before pandemic in 2019 and 2020 with the pandemic that hit the world. We were fairly confident of our product, our abilities, and we were able to navigate the storm and come out stronger. So that gives us also the confidence to handle any insecurities that we find or we identify. And then, uh, and then generative AI comes in and then, you know, chat GPT comes in and replaces half of your workforce. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, just a bunch of things. It's, it's, I guess it's a mix of items altogether. Amazing. Thank you for sharing this. If you were today meeting 
the CEO of the closest competitor and you wanted to have an outline of the discussion topics, what would those be? Hmm. Interesting. Funnily enough, I am friends with all the CEOs of our competitors. <laughs> so I take a different approach, to be honest, on competition. I like a clean competition that is based on service as opposed to a dirty competition. So having said that, I focus a lot on making sure that we can collaborate together in order to raise the benchmark of our industry, of our service, of the product, address common challenges together and collaborate and achieve a better working framework where we all put our strengths together in order to give the benefit to the merchant, to the customer, uh, making sure we're adopting you know, the newest, latest trends and what have you. So talking to the CEO of our closest competitor would be something like an agenda of collaboration, identifying maybe areas that they should keep an eye on that we do as well in order to uh, grow together. Because as we grow the market grows and everyone grows together. So we need to collaborate and not compete. Of course, there's always going to be competition, but it could be clean and collaborative competition. Thank you for sharing this opinion, which is very humble and there's a lot of humility in it. What is the most important principle that you live by and that have made you successful? Uh, It's a tough one, but I think I touched upon it earlier uh, in a previous question. I think people matter. I think that's something that I live by. And whether it was our customers, our business partners, our employees, or our industry stakeholders that we work and talk and collaborate with, I think that principle is quite important because when you're trying to build a company, a brand, we have certain values that we live by. And those people are the ones that are reflective of that brand. So for example, the employees, if they don't believe in your brand and they don't actually do or have those brand values that you're trying to portray, it's not going to happen. I think people do matter. And I think they are our biggest asset. And this is how we make sure that everything is going in the right direction of where we want to go and what we want to achieve. Perfect, perfect. Thank you for sharing this as well. One last question. What's next for Teller? We're developing a new, updated, uh, more scalable version of our payment gateway. Like I said, we focus a lot on technology. So we're moving ahead in technology into a new arena or era of technology where we're providing a new core that can handle much more transactions that we currently do, as well as introduce new services that are more flexible, that can add value to the merchant's uh, lifecycle, introduce more payment options as well, and introduce a little bit of new tech into that, such as, you know, I don't want to reveal too much, but something along the lines of AI and anti-fraud and stuff like that. So there's a lot coming from Teller in the next 12 months as far as new services and expansion into the theory of a one-stop shop for e-commerce. Amazing. Where can people find you? Teller.com is the easiest way to come to know about all that we are doing. All our social media is there as well. 
For me, myself, I'm also available through LinkedIn and our website. Um, we have offices in Riyadh. We have offices in Dubai. And uh, our offices are always open for everyone. Thank you, Khalil, for being part of our show. We wish you the best of luck. This was very insightful. And hopefully we meet soon. Thank you so much, Hadi. It was my pleasure. It's a great podcast. And uh, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much again. Thank and you, good luck. Thank you so much for listening to The First 100. We hope it inspired you in your journey. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or Spotify, and share it with a friend starting their entrepreneurship journey. Leave us a five-star review. Your support will help spread our podcast to more viewers. 